0: since there are fewer than 75 people in the whole world with hyperthymesia that's the technical term for perfect memory you probably don't remember what you were up to on monday november 24th 1997. i sure don't i'm all like i don't know something something spice girls something something nintendo 64 something something clinton administration What if I told you that while we were all busy checking out cargo pants at this new store called Old Navy that was suddenly everywhere, two human beings were rocketing through the vacuum of space more than 170 miles above our heads, moving at thousands of miles per hour? Oh yeah, and they were not in a spacecraft. They were standing on a spacecraft, tethered to the surface of the ship by only their boots. Their small gloved human hands reaching out into the literal vastness of the entire freaking universe to try to catch three thousand pounds worth of metal, foil, and malfunctioning electronics? Are you kidding me? This is real. This is real. And they got a small beam of light against the mirror. real. <laughs> True, weird stuff. It's November 1997. Ally McBeal was the most popular show on television. Elton John's tribute to the recently deceased Princess Diana, Candle in the Wind, 1997. That was the number one song in the country. More and more people were beginning to use email and websites, although dial-up connections were all most of us had to work with. And there was no way yet to buy your tickets online to see America's number one movie, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. There was a whole bunch of talk and excitement around this new way of communicating. They called it text messaging. But in 1997, it only worked if both the sender and the receiver were on the same cellular network. SMHLOL, am I right? So that's just a quick review of what was happening down here on Earth in November 1997. But if you tipped your head back and looked up at the stars, you'd see that as a species, we were making some pretty breathtaking progress in space. And our story today begins in January 1972, when under President Richard Nixon, NASA announced the development of the space shuttle program. Here's how this sexy government official made his case to the American people.
1: There are perhaps four main reasons why the space shuttle is important and is the right step in the manned space flight and the U.S. space program. First, the shuttle is the only meaningful new space, manned space program which can be accomplished on a modest budget. Second, the space shuttle is needed to make space operations less complex and less costly. Third, the space shuttle is needed to do many useful things. And fourth, the shuttle will encourage greater international cooperation in space flight.
0: (laughs) This guy. None of your lofty frontiers of knowledge, human ingenuity, exploring the unknown, blah, blah, blah here. Nope. My man's all, look. It's not going to cost that much okay and we're going to do useful things not just dick around in orbit all right so settle down and don't complain about the money Jeez, people damn but from there things actually moved pretty fast which is amazing when you consider the truly insane difficulties and brain-crushing mathematics involved in pulling off man's space flight not to mention the utter constipation of seemingly any government program you gotta hand it to nasa Within four years of that announcement, they were testing the Enterprise Orbiter. Less than 10 years later, the Space Shuttle Columbia zoomed around the Earth 37 times before landing safely at Edwards Air Force Base, Man, The two crew members who took this wild ride were Robert L. Crippen and John W. Young. I wanna say their names because I think it's just kind of hilariously sad that we live in a world where everyone knows all the characters in Scooby-Doo but if our lives depended on it, could we name even 10 astronauts?
1: Hmm, let's see. Um, you have Neil Armstrong, John Glenn, Sally Ride, Gus Grissom, um, Captain Kirk?
0: See what I mean? By 1984, just 12 years later, Bruce McCanglis II was casually doing himself a little untethered spacewalk from the comfort of the shuttle Challenger. And in a thrilling first, that crew even landed their shuttle mission in the very same place where it had taken off, which is something that not even Delta or American Airlines can always promise today. I mean, the space shuttle program was straight up getting it done. In 1986, though, just 73 seconds into its 10th mission, The Shuttle Challenger broke apart in flight. All seven crew members, including schoolteacher Krista McAuliffe, were killed. It was a devastating tragedy that united the entire nation in grief. That night, President Ronald Reagan addressed the country.
1: The crew of the Space Shuttle Challenger honored us for the manner in which they lived their lives. We will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them this morning as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of Earth to touch the face of
0: God. It was a terrible loss, the Space Shuttle Challenger. And it didn't end the shuttle program, but it did end NASA's Civilians in Space Initiative. That was over. In fact, that kind of civilian adventuring would have to wait another 35 years for billionaire Richard Branson to beat billionaire Jeff Bezos into space by just eight days. The press called it the billionaire space race because we're all basically living in a Gotham City packed with a bunch of Bruce Wayne types who have all of Batman's wealth but none of his altruistic desire to slip on a cape, get out there and battle some crime. Anywho, despite the Challenger tragedy, By 1997, the space shuttle program had racked up an impressive number of wins. In 1990, the crew of the shuttle Discovery successfully deployed the Hubble telescope into orbit, which I just made sound like no big deal. But holy space junk, listen, you can't just open the bay doors and shove the Hubble out. Not only did the thing cost more than a billion dollars to build and get into space, it was deployed at the highest orbital altitude ever attempted by the shuttle program. And then of course, they got up there and they cut the Hubble loose and discovered that a mistake made during the manufacture of Hubble's primary mirror meant that, oops, things were just a little bit blurry. Now you could cry here or you could chuckle and shake your head at just how human even the smartest human beings can be. But here's the thing, NASA had so much talent at every level of the shuttle program that just three years later two teams of astronauts went up and performed a world record of five spacewalks to fix the Hubble's blurry eyesight astounding I mean breathtaking but by all means let's do focus all of our attention on more important human achievements like Pete Davidson's inexplicable dating history I got humanity seriously so All of this eventually brings us to November, 1997. NASA sent the shuttle Columbia on its 24th mission, a routine mission, as far as we know, because there were definitely top secret classified shuttle missions that we still know little to nothing about to this day, a whole bunch of them. I'm not saying it was the aliens, but I'm definitely saying it was the military and also probably the aliens, at least a little bit. And you can argue that, but since neither one of us knows anything for certain, (laughs) It could be the aliens. Anyway, a routine mission. A routine mission that kicked off with a sassy little 180-degree roll of the shuttle Columbia as it raced toward orbit at 13 times the speed of sound. Show off. NASA claimed the maneuver wasn't dangerous, but that it was necessary, and here's why. NASA's tracking station in Bermuda was about to be shut down to save a few bucks. The shuttle Columbia Had to do that wild ass crazy 180 degree flip in order to be able to make radio contact with orbiting communication satellites, or the crew of the Columbia would have been lost in space communications wise. Oh my God. Like there were no other places to scrimp and save. What is wrong with us? So, a routine mission, but one that did fulfill one of the promises of the whole shuttle program made by that sparkling bureaucrat we heard from in the beginning of this episode.
1: This program will be open to all the nations of the world. And it is his hope someday that uh, foreign uh, visitors from all over the world will be able to participate uh, by moving to and from space in the space shuttle.
0: Check this out. Columbia's crew on this mission in November 1997 included astronauts from Japan, Ukraine, and India. Actual foreign visitors participating in moving to and from space in the space shuttle, just like we were promised in 1972. And they say the government never keeps its promises. This routine mission was supposed to hurl into orbit and then retrieve a little satellite called SPARTAN. The Spartan was meant to spend two days checking out the sun's outer atmosphere, clocking the solar winds and the charged particles, all the kinds of sun stuff that can wreak havoc with power grids and radio communication systems back here on Earth. And at the end of this 48-hour period, the astronauts on this mission would retrieve the satellite, tuck it safely away, practice a few spacewalks, do some top-secret type stuff, and have mysterious encounters with UFOs. Okay, well, I did make that last part up. But what happened instead was this extraordinary, I mean, mind-bending feat of science, engineering, and raw human courage that those of us back on Earth were generally, mostly oblivious to. And who could blame us? I mean, come on. We were all worked up about the movie Titanic, which was just about to be released to theaters. And we were super busy cramming fistfuls of Nabisco snack wells into our pie holes because they told us we could eat all of them we wanted since they were fat free and what a mother of high fructose corn syrup disaster that one turned out to be I mean come on how were we supposed to do all of that and pay attention to outer space for God's sake meanwhile though up on the Columbia where they couldn't have snack wells unless they turned them into goo and squeezed them from a tube things were starting to go very wrong began with the satellite itself Astronaut Kalpana Shala released it, but the satellite did not perform what NASA adorably calls a pirouette. This pirouette maneuver is supposed to demonstrate that all the systems on the little SunWatcher satellite were working, but all of the systems were clearly not working. And you felt this kind of frustration yourself trying to sink a sound bar to your TV or whatever. You're like, ah, now what? So astronaut Shala tried the space equivalent of a reboot she attempted to gently and carefully grab the satellite back using the Columbia's 50-foot-long shuttle arm. This was not successful as anyone who's ever tried to snatch up a stuffed Pikachu from an arcade claw game can surely imagine. And making everything even worse, the failed attempt caused the satellite to begin slowly spinning, which made any further attempts to grab it with the shuttle arm borderline impossible. So what do we do? Do we leave it there? Let its orbit decay till eventually it falls back to Earth, burning up in the atmosphere upon reentry and hopefully not crashing into anybody's house? Nope. This little five-foot square, 3,000-pound satellite cost $10 million. At a time when NASA apparently could not afford to maintain a tracking station in Bermuda, for crying out loud. A time when saving money was so critical, that the top brass was like, okay, okay, hear me out. What if we just have the astronauts pull a little flipper move at like 13 times the speed of sound right after they launch? Could we maybe do that instead of maintaining that cash guzzling tracking station in Bermuda? People, let's all get on the same page with this. And so now, there's nothing left to do but suit up a couple of astronauts and send them out of the shuttle into the frigid negative 455 degrees Fahrenheit vastness of space to try to grab the damn thing with their hands while moving at about 17,500 miles an hour and gazing upon the actual planet Earth floating right there in front of them. Talk about a complete, total, fully blown mind. I don't even know who developed the psychological screening system at NASA, but they are good. So now we have astronauts Takao Doi and Winston Scott standing on opposite ends of the shuttle's cargo bay. For safety, they were attached to the surface of that platform by straps on their boots, which sounds like a terrifyingly low-key restraint system. I think you were probably more secure the last time you rode a roller coaster. And then they not only had to wait for Columbia, to inch its way closer and closer and closer to the tumbling Spartan satellite. They also had to coordinate their movements down to the second. These two space cowboys would have just one chance, one chance to reach out and simultaneously grab the end of a telescope that was poking out from the side of the Spartan satellite. They would both have to touch the telescope at the exact same moment okay and they're on a spaceship clamped down by their boots staring at the planet earth and this operation took hours astronauts doy and scott clamped by their feet to an actual spaceship careening around the planet for hours hours meanwhile we're all down here on earth like oh my god have you seen that creepy dancing baby video that was on alley McBeal? you got to see this thing it's wild the crew of the shuttle Columbia could have said, Oh, absolutely not, mission control. Oh, hell no. Astronauts and Scott could have at any time banged on the door and asked to come back inside the shuttle, especially after the first hour or so of standing there in the frigid void, contemplating the gazillion things that could go really, really wrong, really, really fast. They could have gotten tired and acted just a fraction of a second too soon or a fraction of a second too late and the whole mission would have been a failure. But instead, they pulled off a near miraculous rescue. They literally snatched a dead satellite out of its doomed tumble and saved NASA $10 million. And not only that, they maintained their right stuff cool right up to the triumphant end. I would like you to listen to these two astronauts casually asking, if they could bring the rescued satellite back aboard.
1: Okay, that's a little high. Did you want to make a GCA yet? Are you going to the the farthest position?
0: Yeah, go ahead. GCA him always close to the position.
1: Okay, okay. Bring me down in the bay, please.
0: You guys, they were clamped by their feet to a spacecraft that was going seventeen thousand five hundred miles an hour for like over three hours, swirling around the planet Earth. Did you hear how cool they just were? Have you not sounded more insane asking for someone to pass you the salt? I myself am more jubilantly out of control every single time my dog remembers that he's supposed to poop outside the house. Can you even believe how cool these guys are? So maybe you're listening to this right now and you're thinking, wait a minute. The Space Shuttle Columbia. Didn't something terrible happen to the Space Shuttle Columbia? Wasn't that all over the news. Well, you're right, something terrible and heartbreaking did happen to the Columbia, but not on this particular mission. And this story of the Space Shuttle Columbia is not about tragedy. It's about wonder and about bravery and about science and math and how profoundly surreal and so weird it must be to be a very small human being orbiting the actual planet Earth for hours and hours. Protected by nothing but your puffy suit and a helmet? I mean, wow. Let's end this episode by hearing from that satellite-fetching, space-walking hero of the stars, Columbia astronaut Winston Smith, who is trying to tell us as best he can what this kind of experience feels like.
1: I can remember my very first spacewalk exiting the uh, hatch and then floating up to the side of the uh, the, the walls in, in the payload bay. I, I grabbed the handholds and I pulled myself up and I looked over and down at the earth and I could see just how fast we were moving over the earth and see how far below me the surface was and I had the sensation that I was falling, I was just going to tumble over and hit the ground. Well, of course you are falling. That's how you stay in orbit, you're literally falling around the earth. But when you see it, you're outside and you see it with your own two eyes, uh, it's just uh, <laughs> just an incredible experience that it is difficult to express in words.
0: We live in an age of wonders. It's just sometimes we need a little reminder to look up, to look up. Thanks for listening, Earthlings. Next time on True Weird Stuff, who doesn't love a mother-daughter business? A little mommy and me fun? Except, you know, when they're stealing bodies and selling them for profit next time on true weird stuff and we really appreciate it if you subscribe rate and review true weird stuff hit our website true for show notes and photos and videos when we have it and bonus content everything true weird is waiting for you at true weird
1: and follow True Weird Stuff on Instagram and Twitter.
0: True Weird Stuff is a now media production. Our executive producer is Anthony Garcia. The show is written and hosted by me, Sherry Lynch, along with my deeply weird director, Max Sweeten. Our equally odd producer is Carrie Bowser. Additional production by the mysterious Stephen Call. Our digital witch and social media cult leader is Heather Furr. Original graphics by Kevin Nash. Original artworks by Olivia Axlinn. True, weird, original music composed and performed by Jack Griffin and Zane Nash. Copyright 2023, now media, all rights reserved, all wrongs remembered.